This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Go back to your inner child and, and help her heal the way in which she saw herself, men, women, love, and the way in which she received love, safety, and belonging. Then it allows you to look at the world the other way. I want to ask you some specific things that people have asked me. And the question of all time, do you sleep with him on the first date? <laughs> Let's take a breath. Hey guys, I'm Cindy Lutwako and welcome to Something to Share. Every Wednesday, I sit down with people you may have seen on your TV screens, experts in their fields, or just people I find inspirational so that they have a platform to dive into the things that they really want to talk about. We all have something to share, something that we're going through, and something that we need to hear. So let's get started. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Happy Wednesday. I hope that we are surviving the end of the year, the craziness of the holidays. Um, I hope that you guys are feeling good and have some support around you and are enjoying this really fun, exciting, crazy time. Um, I just want to say thank you guys for listening. I know that we're wrapping up and the year is coming to a close. And if you've been here for some part of the journey, or even if you are just starting here now, just thank you for being here. It truly means a lot. And my goal ultimately starting this podcast was to connect with people close and far away. So wherever you are listening, just know that I am so thankful for you being on the other side of this. It sometimes feels like I'm just talking to the abyss, but I truly cherish and appreciate any of you that are out there who press play and are spending one hour or some part of your day with me. Just thank you. And I hope that you continue on with me as we go into this next year. And I was thinking about the end of the year and the goals and just all of the things that another year brings to a head. And I need to take some time and start making my list. I always at the end of the year try and create some type of manifestation list or just things I want to accomplish in the year. And I think what becomes daunting about making New Year's resolutions is, I don't know the percentage, I could look it up, but basically it's they're destined to fail. Um, there's so much pressure put around resolutions and creating these huge changes right on day one of January 2022. But for me, what I like to write down and cultivate for me thinking about the new year is more of a feeling and how I want the year to feel and my intentions for going into a new year. So it's less like I must lose X amount of weight or I must do this task every day. It's more of just like, how do I want to feel each day and throughout the year, and what are the things that I can do to accomplish that feeling? So thinking about 2022, I think I just want to lean into flow and ease a little bit more. I think I want the year just to feel in flow and less resistance. And I know that is hard to kind of grasp. For me to do that, I'm going to lean into the things that work or that really make me happy and really figuring out what those things are. Um, removing uh, the tasks or certain things that don't align with me or don't make me happy or I feel resistance to. So whether that's outsourcing certain parts of my job to people that are experts in that field or if it's just not doing minute tasks that aren't really necessary. Um, so just kind of getting clear on those. And I was looking at my um, list from last year for 2021. 
And I was looking over the list and I was like, wow, I've actually accomplished almost all of those things. So then me looking at that, for example, I had on here like get engaged by the end of next year. I I wrote down the job that I'm currently working with with fitness as a part of that, certain brand deals that I wanted to accomplish. And one of the big ones was finding representation for the podcast, which I did all of those things. And I was like checking them off my list and I was like, wow, I really, I hadn't looked back on this list until at the end of this year. So I really forgot what I'd written down. And I think that just goes to show that I can aim even higher. I was able to accomplish what I thought was really difficult to do or a little bit reaching in 2020 to now. But by looking at that and by me checking off those things, I realized that's not true. Um, It seemed pretty simple for me to do that. So I think for this year, I think that's a good way for me to approach what I'm writing down and what um, I'm trying to create in 2022 is to aim higher. So I, I say all this to hopefully inspire someone out there to dream even bigger for yourself than you thought was possible. Write it down. Just by doing that, you are creating a focus for yourself and something that you can refer back to to really see how far you've come. Even if you don't reach those goals and even if you don't check those things off your list, it's just a good reminder of the intentions that you set for yourself and just the energy that you brought into the the new year. So if you forget the inspiration that you had at the beginning of the year, if you or if you forget that feeling of why you wanted to do certain things, if it's written down, you can easily refer back to it and be reminded of that. So I hope that with this new year that we all aim even bigger than what we ever thought was possible. And if you don't even know what that is, a great way to do that is by writing down a feeling. Like I this year I want to feel accomplished or this year I want to feel heart-centered or this year I want to insert whatever that thing is for you. Like what is the thing that you are most called to be doing right now? What is the thing that really inspires you that really will help you get out of bed? Kind of the theme for your year. I think that's that's what helps me. And that is how I'm going to approach this new year coming up. I say, guys, just stay open. Um, Be excited about new possibilities and Just trust that you are always in the right place at the right time and that anything that you are asking for or hoping for that you are capable of and that is possible for you, you just have to really trust and believe that. And when you do put the work behind it to accomplish those things. So that is my little something to share today. Hopefully that resonates with you. Send me your what you're thinking for your theme for next year. Send me what your intentions are for the new year and the theme of what you're writing down for 2022. I would love to hear them. Um, DM them to me either um, my Instagram or something to share podcast because I would love to hear from you guys. Um, We have Veronica Grant on the podcast today. She is a podcaster. She's a coach and she helps to empower women, especially around the space in dating to feel their most confident and aligned self in dating. And I know that some of these terms can be very like, what is she talking about? But I think with anything, it's all about the energy that you're going to bring to a date, to a office meeting, that is going to determine a lot of things. And for me, for example, in dating, especially towards the beginning, I always felt like, oh, there's no guys out there. There's no good guys. All of these dates suck and I'm not meeting anyone great, which was somewhat true. But I also feel 
that in my experiences at the beginning of dating, I secretly didn't want to actually be dating or I secretly didn't want to have a boyfriend because I was afraid of what that would mean. I was afraid that that would change my focus on my career. I was afraid that I wouldn't know how to be in a relationship. So deep down, I was feeling that. So naturally, when I showed up to a date, I was looking for men, um, whether intentional or not, that were not going to be the real deal for me. So I did that for a while and me some time to really figure out what I was doing deep down because I just actually was not ready for a long-term relationship at the time. So I took it as there's just no good guys. But I actually, I think deep down, I was just pushing good ones away. <laughs> so we get into Veronica's story of her dating experience. And she tells us really helpful story of her experience and how she approached dating and how she actually learned through that process, her childhood experiences and the way that she approached love affected how she was dating. So we talk about how you can make certain shifts in the way you approach a date, in the way that you're approaching any aspect of life, whether if you are wanting to be dating right now or not. Um, and we get into a lot of your specific dating questions and apply her method and her ability to help women um, empower themselves in dating to those questions at the end. So make sure you stay around for that. I think this one's super helpful, especially if going into the new year, a relationship is something that you are looking for. I think this one will be a great way just to kind of reset maybe your thinking behind dating or really set you up for success for dating in the new year. And even if you are in a relationship, we get into um, how to continue to date in relationships, how to create that long-term success with how you show up to relationships and how you view love. So I love this episode. Please share this one with a friend, a family member, someone that you care about, someone that's dating or in a relationship or really anything. I think this conversation can apply to a lot of different things. So without further ado, guys, please enjoy this episode with Veronica. And before you go, I would absolutely love if you wrote a five-star review to really help me get this podcast into the right place for 2022. Enjoy the episode, guys. Veronica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I know you're a fellow podcaster, so I'm sure you get this life. Um, yeah. But for the people that don't know you, can you give us a quick little background of what you do, who you are, and what your work is? Yeah. So um, my name is Veronica and I am a love and life coach. And I really help women who feel like they have it all except love, figure out that part of their life so they can have it all. Um, and I got into this work kind of a roundabout way, but I spent many years teaching yoga and fitness classes and I wanted to do that full time, but I wanted to like, you know, just teaching the classes seemed like, okay, I need to do something else with that. So I thought health coaching would be a really great way to um, supplement that kind of work that I love to do. And I'd also, you know, struggled with body image and, you know, all that kind of stuff that a lot of people or a lot of women, or I guess people too struggle with. And so, um, I, that's my background really. And, and then I was, you know, into my health coaching business and I was working with clients and everyone just seemed to want to lose weight so that they could date or so mm -hmm. they could feel confident to date or people, more people would like them or whatever. And I was thinking, Hmm, something feels a little bit off because <laughs> those probably aren't the kind of people that you'd want to be attracting anyways. And so long story short, I pivoted and I just decided to focus really more on dating and relationships, but from like a holistic perspective, like really looking at you and how you're showing up um, rather than like five texts to get him to yes or, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> I, I mean, I want to click on those things too. Cause like, I, I really want to know what those texts are, but um, 
you know, that's not really going to make that much of a difference. Uh, so anyways, so that's, that's the work that I, that I do in the world. That's such a fun job. I love that. Yeah. And then you're really helping people because dating, it doesn't only just affect your dating life that when you are, I would say successful or feeling good in that aspect of your life, it's going to affect every aspect of your life usually. Um, cause love is such a huge element of our every day. So yeah, you're affecting one part of it. Yes. But it's also trickling into every other aspect. So that's really, really cool. Totally. You I always, I always that. tell clients like the big secret, and it's not really a secret is that the work that I do with clients, it's about dating. Cause that's often the thing that like they're Googling where they, you know, come and find me, but it's really also not about dating at all. You could probably insert the word, you know, dating in love with like money or health or career or whatever. And it would all still like with a little bit of editing <laughs> still make sense. Yeah, it's really exactly. About- Yeah. That's why I was excited to talk to you with uh, reading about all the things that you do and kind of your method of it. I was thinking the same thing that it it is dating. Yes, but it can also apply to money career because essentially I feel like they're all connected um, because they always seem to come down to like that self-worth factor. Right. Yeah. I was going to say it's all connected to, to self-worth for sure. Yeah. I feel that. Okay. So before we jump into all the questions I have for you, um, I asked this question of everyone and I know I threw this at you at the beginning of our interview, but um, anything that y- you could share with us that's either from your nightstand, surprising or with an interesting backstory and it can be very random. <laughs> yeah. Well, this might sound like super cliche, but I'd have to say for me, one of my most, you know, cherished objects is my engagement ring and not just cause like it's any old ring, but for me, what's really important, especially as I've, you know, started to create my own family is really remembering, you know, our ancestors and who came before us. Like I've built like this ancestor wall in our house. We have pictures from like great, great, great. I think that's the furthest we go back grandparents. Wow. And like, I'm really into like making recipes and and all the kind of stuff from, from our lineages. And so my, um, my engagement ring is um, my husband's Bubby, which is grandmother, her diamond. And then there's little diamonds around it. And those were my great grandmothers. They're, you know, blended together and well, not blended literally, but the ring on the ring. And it's just, you know, it's not even because it's like they're diamonds or whatever. They could be any gems, anything, but just, you know, because it just really represents like our lineages and our ancestry. Um, it just means a lot to me. I love that. It's like, they have a piece of your relationship or a piece of like their love is a part of your love. And that symbolism is so nice. And you can l- always look down your hand and think about them or feel like you're almost being watched over, if that makes sense. That's so special. Um, anyways, besides that, anything that's been on your heart or mind lately that you would like to talk through, share anything that's been weighing on you or you've been thinking about? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess to continue, I didn't mean to do this, but continue along the lines or the theme of grandmother. Um, so in April this past year, my grandmother, my, so my dad's mom, she passed away. Mm-hmm. And obviously like it was really, I mean, sad. I mean, she was like, the matriarch of the family in every way. Like she kept everyone in line, but also she loved everyone deeply. And Mm -hmm. so she had been sick for a while and she got to a point where basically she was in hospice care. And um, my aunt was like, well, she's not going to spend, you know, her last few weeks in, you know, a nursing home or hospital or whatever. And so they just transformed the living room of their house into like a makeshift hospital nursing care kind of space. And, um, she ended up, she was only supposed to survive for like another couple of weeks, but she ended up surviving for another five weeks. And wow. it was some of the most beautiful time 
you know, obviously it was very sad. She was very sick. Uh, she had brain cancer. So like the left side of her body was completely paralyzed. Mm. You know, the things that my family did for her and did, you know, just took care of her. I mean, my aunt was literally like wiping her butt because she was like paralyzed and, and, yeah. and my dad or one of my cousins always had to be in the house, you know, so that she could get transferred to the bathroom if she needed to use the bathroom. And she just, we just had family around sharing stories and talking about like the old days. She was sharing more about, you know, her parents and her grandparents. And she ultimately died with her entire family, like everyone that she cared about around her. And it really just got me thinking of like, oh my God, what a beautiful way to exit this yeah. life. And, and then that got me thinking like, okay, what do I need to do in my life right now, like what kind of decisions do I need to make right now so that I can or best my chances of having, you know, an exit from this life and in that way to be, you know, to have like my kids love me enough to pop, put pause on their lives and, mm. and be in the house with me and take care. And um, what kind of relationship would that mean that I would need to have with my partner and how would I want to, you know, show up for them and just all the people in my life. So that's what I've been thinking about. I know it's pretty well, heavy, but no, uh, I mean, that's, it's like heavy, but also so special and such a unique time of life. Just like that, that ending period, we had a similar time with my grandma. And I remember everyone just kind of coming together around her. She was doing the same thing. She was telling all the stories that she had and all these memories that you don't get to ask them every single day. They're just like so special and so unique. And they have so much life that they've lived and so much wisdom that you can take from them, but also just that special time where everything kind of fades away, like all the other stuff, like the stress of your own life, your job, all of that kind of fades into the background just for that time period. And you're just focusing on them. It's so beautiful. And I like uh, the way that you're rethinking it now for your own life and how you would like want to look up to what she created in her life, which I think we don't always think about. And it's important to think about those things because you're creating almost like a roadmap for your life and how you're wanting to live it now so that when you get to the, that time forever down the road, it's just, you lived as fully as you could, which totally. is awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's grandparents are the best, they are <laughs> the freaking best. I'm so sorry that uh, you had that loss recently, but yeah, it sounds like she's still a part of you guys. Do you feel her like near after her passing and things like that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think yeah. everyone still feels her presence very strongly. I know I do for sure. Um, and, and it was just so beautiful because she had so long before she ultimately passed away. She wrote all the grandkids letters that my yeah. aunt gave to us after she passed. I mean, it was just, it was just beautiful. It's so special. Yeah. <sighs> well, taking a break from that. <laughs> Online dating. I'm just kidding. Online dating. Yeah. No, I do want to, I do want to uh, segue into dating and like what your work is. And I want to go back to your own story because I think it seems to me from like all the people I talk to and just my ob observations of life that people kind of fall into the right paths based on their own life experiences and things that they went through. So I want to hear your path to getting to where you are now with your work. What was your dating life before you made certain shifts? What was like the past? And you mentioned uh, this moment on the bathroom floor that I found very interesting. So can you talk me through just like your dating history and how it led you to where you are now? Yeah. So my dating history was pretty crap. Um, I was attracting one of two types of people, either someone who was actually very emotionally available and wanted to be in a long-term relationship with me. And actually I did date someone who genuinely and definitely wanted to marry me. And had I not broken up with them, probably would have proposed, but ultimately 
I wasn't really emotionally available for that kind of relationship. And it felt suffocating and scary and also kind of boring. And ultimately, you know, I would just either repel those people or in this specific case, I, you know, I broke up, I broke off the relationship. So that was one pattern. And then the other pattern was, you know, of course, being infatuated by the guys who weren't really available. And I was kind of having to play the game like, okay, like maybe if we like hook up enough, they'll like want to be with me because they'll see how awesome I am. And of course they'll love me or whatever. Yeah. So I found myself in one of two uh, paths, patterns, um, but ultimately the reason was the same. And that was really that I, of course, I didn't know this at the time, but I wasn't emotionally available. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as a human, everyone, I'm pretty sure listening to this as a human, we all need to feel love, safety, and belonging. And all of us have experienced times in our life, specifically our childhood, where we didn't feel love, safety, or belonging. Now, this might feel very true if you came from any kind of like acute trauma, like divorce or like a early death of a loved one, um, something like that. Um, but also this happens in like little ways just constantly throughout our life. You know, when parents are like too busy to, you know, pay attention to what your needs are, or, um, if, you know, mom had a temper or if you felt like you had to like take care of your mom and she was like always sad about something or whatever, this can all create different ways in which we relate to ourselves, how we think about getting love, safety, and belonging, and it can create certain patterns. So for me, for my story, you know, there wasn't like, there was a few things going on in my home, but one was like, there was just no boundaries. Everyone mm-hmm. just kind of poo-pooed their <laughs> emotions all over everybody. And, um, and, and so as a child that feels like, whoa, like what's going on better, just kind of keep to keep to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I did learn is that I would get approval and appraisal and all that kind of stuff from my parents when I got good grades and specifically from my mom when I was looking skinnier. So she always Mm -hmm. commented on my body. She would tell me when I'd gained weight. She told me when I was, you know, oh, looking thin or whatever. And what that does is again, I don't have, you know, at 10 years old or 12 years old or whatever age, I don't have the wherewithal to be like, oh, this is my mom just projecting her own insecurities on her body onto me. Instead, it was more of like, oh, this feels really good when I'm getting good grades or when I'm looking a certain way. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to mistake that for love. And so what I learned to do is outsource my um, ability to feel good enough, ability to feel loved on other things or things that are just external to me, such as, you know, body size. And so what happened then as an adult and I was dating and, you know, I desperately wanted to feel that love and that safety and that belonging that we all want to feel. Um, but I was sourcing that to, or outsourcing that to a relationship. I thought that a relationship specifically, you know, with a man would help me to fill in all of those insecurities, all those holes that, that I, you know, that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately because I didn't really learn how to connect deeply with myself and, and, and source um, self-love and worthiness from within also like from other people, like in a more um, sustainable, deeper way, I only knew how to just kind of, again, just use like external forces to try to build that connection. And, you know, as an adult that can often look like sex or other kind of physical, you know, ways in which we might connect with someone. Um, And so that's just the pattern that I found myself in over and over again. And so then you can understand why when someone, you know, was actually emotionally available and actually wanted to be with me, it was like, whoa, who are you? What the hell are you doing? So there is one particular relationship. I I had had two relationships in grad school, just back to back, where it was basically the same thing happened over again, where basically I was like chasing these guys and they weren't really that into me, but I was just lying to myself about it. And I got to the tail end of that second relationship and it was basically over, but it wasn't officially over. And that's really what got me into doing this kind of reflection and seeing like, what the hell's going on? And so I went to this, um, 
I don't know what she was. She wasn't like a regular like therapist, but she, she, cause she, she did some spiritual kind of work stuff too. But anyways, I was talking to her and I was telling her about my, my upbringing. And I was like, I don't know why she's asking me this crap. I just really want to know how I can get this guy to like me, like what the hell. Um, and, and so she was asking me about my family and I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember her response very clearly. And she was like, Oh, so it just sounds like your family wasn't very emotionally available. And I just stared at her for a second and I was like, what are you talking about? And then I was like, oh my God, she's right. Holy shit. And so that is what introduced me to inner child work and really looking at like, how do I, what's the lens in which I'm seeing myself, men, women, love, relationships, the world, all of those things. And then that really set me down my path of like, this is, this is on me. I got to figure this out. Like not from the sense that I'm broken, but from the sense of like, from where am I attracting these relationships? The place that I was attracting these relationships was the place of me that didn't feel good enough. And that's almost never going (laughs) to go well from that. I took some time. I did a lot of introspection, a lot of work, um, and things were going much, much, much better. And then I kind of hit another weak moment. I had just moved to a new city. I was in Washington, DC at the time, mm-hmm. um, new jobs, everything. I was just feeling a little vulnerable, you know? And so this other guy, I call him Baker dude. Um, he came into my life and he whined and dined me. I never dated someone who made that much money and he would just like drop like a few hundred dollars, like easy <laughs> on our dates. And I, look, I'm not above it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. You got to have one little period of that. <laughs> And, and, and so it just, it just got, you know, it just got the best of me really. And so that was really what prompted my bathroom floor moment that I talk about on, on my um, website. You know, I'd been doing so well. I'd been attracting really great guys. It was just really about just at that point, finding the one that was, you know, right for me. Um, but I felt like he had stepped, you know, set me back a few, however many steps. And what had happened is he, again, like he whined and dined me all the time. And then we were supposed to have a date and he was too drunk to pick me up. But he kind of played it off and he was like, let me just get you a cab. You can come hang out with my friends. And that'll be like, you know, like I'm, you're hanging out with my friends. Like, that's a good thing, right? I'm, I'm introducing you to them. And I yeah, kind of I like, remember that. Oh, like, cool. It's like they can honor, they honor you by meeting their friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I, just, I was, I, you know, I pretended to be okay with it, even though like I'm actually kind of an introvert and I hate going out like the way he same. likes to party or whatever. So whatever, <laughs> I pretended to be cool with it. And then the same thing happened next week, except that time he did not follow through with like, come out with my friends or whatever. A few days later, he finally called me and he did what he needs to do was like, Hey, I have some problems with alcohol. So I need to work on that before I can be in a relationship. You know, he was, he was taking the mature route, but me, I was like, I can help you. I see Uh, the man you're supposed to be, you know what I mean? Like I wanted, I fell up for the fixer upper fantasy. And so it was really just you know, through that whole thing. And my, I was talking to with my friend, I was like trying to go on another date. Cause I just had to like find somebody. And I was like crying about this other guy. So, you know, this, this banker guy. And so I was like trying to put on mascara, but crying at the same time, which doesn't work very Never. well. <laughs> and, and then my friend that I was on the phone with, he's, he's a guy. And he was like, just get the fuck over yourself, Ronica. Like he was too drunk to, to like go on a date with you. Like what is wrong with you basically? Yeah. And at first I was like, why aren't you on my side? And then I was like, oh my God, he is on my side. And that's really where it dawned on me that it wasn't just that like I had grown up with, you know, an emotionally unavailable family. And so I had trouble, you know, being vulnerable and emotionally available as well. But that's when it really dawned on me, like, oh my God, I outsource 
my happiness, my worthiness to everything, to, to men, to, to jobs, to mm. how full my social calendar is just like everything. Oh yeah. And so, and it was just, you know, I, I, I really beat myself up at the time. Like, Oh my God, I thought I worked on this. I thought I healed this, blah, blah, blah. And I know a lot of people and I, I get a lot of clients. Like I thought I worked through this. I thought I healed this. And yeah, you did. And now you're just at a deeper layer, just another yeah. layer to peel back. And I feel like that's where I had gotten to as, as well. So it was just time to get back to work. Um, and then I met my husband actually. So I met him like four months later. Wow. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> that's pretty quick, quick, quick little yeah. life lesson. Yeah. I think that's a great example because I have noticed in life seems to test you in some ways, not like pass fail, but to help you work through patterns or what work through things that are holding you back in whatever regard that is. So it could be test in dating it could be tests and jobs, but it all is relating to like one thing that you have to work through, but it's just, it looks different in different forms, but until you work through that thing, you're going to continue to get the same test, the same type of guy, the same type of treatment, because you're literally telling the universe world, whatever you believe in that, like, I accept this. I'm signing off on this message. This, this works for me. I'm only worthy of this. So keep sending me this type of guy. And until you wake up to it or you notice it, or you work through things like you did, it's just going to keep happening. So it's just like they, the world wants you to get better, do better, or get the things that you want, or you're manifesting whatever, again, you believe in, but until you pass those tests and until you like stand up for yourself and you see what's happening, it's going to continue on. So that seems to be what happened for you. What it was the like aha moment? Was it just like that, that guy that told you he literally is not treating you? Like, what was that moment? You're like, oh my God, I can fix this. Or it was really that, that moment where I thought my friend was not on my side. And I was like, why aren't you on my side? And, and, and that's where I was like, oh my God, like this guy, like he, I love a good glass of wine. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, stay sober before a freaking date, you know, yeah. he cut it. I'm not like shaming him for a, for that, but like, I deserve someone who can do that and who yeah. can pick me up when they said they were going to pick me up and are also able to pick me up when they yeah. said they were going to pick me up. I've really been in this pattern of self-abandoning, abandoning what I really need just as a human. That was a really big, big moment for me. And it just so happened at that time I was in a yoga teacher training. Yoga has like eight tenets. It's not really just about like the actual poses that you do. She really focused on like a lot of the other philosophies and yoga and the spirituality of it. And so I think I was really just lucky to have already been in that teacher training specifically. Yeah. Um, because that gave me some tools to access just my spiritual self. Um, and also just gave me some practices to connect in and develop that worthiness um, and sense of self from within rather than, you know, things or people yeah. outside of me. Yeah. Cause it can be really dangerous almost when you're outsourcing your value and your worth and other things, like you said, you were doing, because those things can change so quickly. Like a job can be removed and then you feel like you are not worthy of anything just because the job goes away like that. It's it's really hard to outsource your self-worth like that because naturally life is going to shift and ebb and flow. So if your worth is outside of yourself and you don't believe that you're worthy from within, no matter all the other things that ha you have outside of yourself can be really hard to go about life because those things are naturally going to happen. And unless you have that like strong center of self, um, it can be really easy to get lost in the ups and downs that life is naturally going to have. 
So I'm wondering, Veronica, then how did you rework your energy once you realized, okay, this is the thing that I need to stop doing. This is what I want to change. Like, how did you go about making those changes? It sounded like you did it pretty quickly because you met your husband four months later. To be clear, like I had been doing a lot of work and like going, moving to DC and being in that new city. It just, I just kind of took a few steps back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't want anyone to think, oh my God, like three months, I can meet someone. I mean, you can, like, who knows? I don't have a crystal ball. Like anything is possible. Yeah. Um, But for me, it was really the inner child work and, and connecting because our inner child, whatever happened growing up to you is really the way in which you see the world. Think of it as like, you know, a pair of glasses that you're seeing the world. And so maybe you're seeing the world from a pair of glasses where it shows that the sky is, I don't know, green or something, but that's just your perspective because those are the glasses that you have on. And so for me, the glasses that I had on, you know, I remember very distinctly in college once um, I was hanging out with a bunch of friends and there's this one woman who just had a naturally very slender body. And I remember just staring at her one time thinking, oh my God, you could have any guy she wanted. And I really genuinely believed that that was really the lens in which I saw myself and, and, and love and how to get guys and everything. So I really believe I just lost five more pounds. I could have any guy that I wanted. I really genuinely believe that those are the glasses that, that I was mm-hmm. wearing. And so inner child work, really what it does is it just helps you put on another pair of glasses in mm-hmm. which to see the world. We often will operate as if, you know, the sky is green when in reality, the sky isn't green. And, and some people call it a limiting belief. I just call it like a lie we tell ourselves. So mm-hmm. only because I think sometimes limiting beliefs can be a little gaslighty. <laughs> so I, I, that's a whole other topic, but whatever. Um, the point is, is that we tell ourselves lies that aren't really true. You know, a very common pattern among the women I work with is, is people pleasing that you mm-hmm. have to be very like accommodating or don't be too much or don't really yeah. say what you think or don't ask for things because then they're going to think you're naggy or needy, um, or it'll just be a huge turnoff or whatever. And so those might be, that might be the glasses in which you're, you know, pursuing relationships from. And if those are the glasses you have on, you can imagine how, not that it will, but you're setting yourself up to be in relationships with, I don't like to say narcissists because that's like an actual, you know, diagnosis, but people with narcissistic tendencies or controlling mm-hmm. tendencies love people pleasers, right? Because people pleasers are willing to make their their world about, you know, someone else. And that's what someone yeah. who has narcissistic tendencies love. And so um, you're just setting yourself up for a very certain kind of relationship or a very certain kind of pattern. But mm-hmm. when you can um, go back to your inner child and, and help her heal the way in which she saw herself, men, women, love, and the way in which she received love, safety, and belonging, then it allows you to look at the world in the other way. And it's like, okay, I used to believe, or I used to operate from a place of people pleasing because that's how I thought I got love because for a long time, that is how I got love. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm operating in a new paradigm and now I can ask for what I need or set boundaries or set agreements with my partner or, or whatever, and just set yourself up for more success. I love that. So say I'm someone that is struggling in dating. I want to get better at it. I want to get new experiences. I want to figure out what my patterning is. And then I want to help my and fix my inner child. So what are the steps that I could take to figure out what my thing is, how I can fix it, and then how I can apply it to my dating life or work or whatever your thing that you're trying to get better at? Yeah. So this is, this is like basically the process that I take clients through and it can take months, but um, I'll give it to you in a nutshell. So the first thing, the the absolute first thing is to understand your patterns and I call it connecting the dots. So the first thing you can do is what is either a main belief that you have about relationships 
Um, so maybe a main belief you have is relationships are hard. And then, and then from there, you can ask yourself, okay, why do I have that belief? Or where did mm-hmm. that belief come from? Now, it might be like, oh, well, my last relationship was really hard. Okay, well, I would also argue that that last relationship was a manifestation of whatever the deeper wound is. So yeah. you have to keep going back. Um, and maybe if you believe relationships were hard, maybe you saw your parents really struggle in their relationships. Or maybe that's something your parents always told you, oh, relationships are hard or whatever. Um, Or maybe it's not really specific to relationships, but maybe uh, your upbringing in your home, there was just like this belief, almost like this mantra that like nothing comes easy or that everything, you know, in life worth getting is hard or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, And so that can be a belief that you're operating under. So once you make that connection, then you have to go back to that inner child who created the story about it, who created the belief about it. And this is all done through like journaling and visualization work where you go back and one, you just like let her feel whatever she's feeling. Um, Because one thing that will keep people stuck is not actually working with their emotions enough. So a lot of like personal development and this kind of healing work that's like on Instagram or even in like in reading a book, it's very intellectual based. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah I understand what Veronica's saying. This makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. I'm glad it makes sense. And I'm glad maybe you're connecting some dots, but you have to also then release those feelings because yeah. a lot there's a lot of like you know, stuff in the personal growth world where it's like your thoughts create your reality. And yeah. there's certainly the secret and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. There's certainly truth yeah. to that, but I don't think it like our thoughts aren't that powerful. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but, yeah. but they, but like, if you also fundamentally don't feel good about yourself or don't think that you really deserve what you want or whatever, you might swipe right on certain people and swipe left on other people. So it can, you know, have an impact on your reality for for sure. But the reason that I bring that up is because your thoughts just don't come out of nowhere. They come from how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. Because like if you're feeling good and confident and worthy, then you're going to have a different set of thoughts about yourself than if you're feeling kind of crap. Right. And so if you only try to use like mantras to feel happy and feel good or whatever, then it's kind of like redoing your bathroom, but like your foundation, your house is crap. It's all going to fall in anyway. So like, why are you spending the money? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And and so when you can get into the emotion and the only way to let emotion heal is to really just give it space to kind of feel. And this is not what people want to do because it doesn't always feel great. And mm-hmm. also because a lot of like the law of attraction stuff is like, you know, all of this like low vibe, high vibe stuff, which yeah. is super, super toxic. Um, feeling anger or feeling sadness is not low vibe at all. In fact, mm-hmm. I think those emotions can be very like transformative. You know, if you think of like all the things that have happened in the world, all the things that have changed in the world didn't come from like feeling happy and butterflies and anger, you know, so it can be, it's alchemical both on a collective level, but then on a personal level as, as well. So you just have to feel the feelings. And some people might be like, Oh, but Veronica, I'm always sad or I'm always crying or whatever. But a lot of time there's judgment like, Oh, I shouldn't feel this way. Oh, I'm so dumb for not being over this person. You're such a jerk or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you do that, it would be like the equivalent of like me. Let's say like we got on a, on a, on a coaching call and I was like, don't feel sad. That's silly. Why are you feeling sad? You would then swallow your emotions. You'd be like, Oh God, I don't really feel safe here. It's not the way I thought it was going to go. And when you treat yourself like that, the same thing kind of happens. You end up suppressing how you feel and you don't Mm -hmm. actually let the emotion release. It could be lifelong work, to be honest. (laughs) It is. It is. It really is. And and you don't have to like be totally healed in order to find love because like, I think we're always healing. No one is Mm. healed. You know, some people are really tapped in on their emotions. Some people have suppressed them for a long time. And so it takes a while to be able to feel it. And, and then once you, you've let the emotions kind of run its course and you're feeling lighter, perhaps more cathartic, 
um, then you can move into reparenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is done through journaling and visualization. Reparenting is not like being a cheerleader. You've got this. It'll get better in 20 years. Don't worry about it. Dad's a dick, whatever. Like, no, that's not going to like, think about it. If you're talking to a five-year-old, a five-year-old's going to be like 20 years. Like they don't have concept of time. Like that's not going to yeah. do anything. Um, it's more of like, I'm here. I've got you you know, your parents are misbehaving. It's not fair, or you don't deserve this, that kind of stuff where you're just really being with them and mirroring how they feel. And then that, you know, allows your inner child to begin to feel safer, to um, feel how she feels and express how she feels. And that then allows you as the adult, as the person housing the inner child to also, you know, mirror those things for yourself and your relationship with yourself, and then also potentially relationships with other people. And then you get to the integration part. It's trial and error, really. Um, One thing that I like to do is like, if, if a client is like, you know, needing to have a conversation or feeling triggered or just whatever with somebody um, and they're kind of like, I don't know what to do. I always like to have them ask, okay, is this my inner child self wanting to call the shots? Or is this my adult self? You can call it higher self, self, future self, whatever self (laughs) resonates. And then from there, you can kind of get a sense of like, okay, so the old pattern I would do is I would shut down and I'd be super passive aggressive and whatever. My higher self is going to have this, albeit scary conversation where I ask for what I need from my partner. And that might mean the beginning of the end, Mm -hmm. but it's worth it. Right. And so then you can begin to just um, differentiate who's calling the shots talk to yourself and your inner child in that way to give yourself confidence to do it. Um, And then you do it. And, you know, this work is not about like never feeling sad or never being rejected again. It's just like, if you do have a, like a boundaries conversation, it doesn't go the way you thought and it leads to rejection ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just about like, okay, yeah, this sucks. This hurts. Um, But it doesn't have an effect on your worthiness, right? Yeah. That's really the goal life will give you little hints. Like I'm feeling this emotion because I had this, say we had a conversation with me and my boyfriend and that triggered something in me that felt unworthy or sad in some way and figuring out, was it about the fact that he didn't do the dishes or was it about something that happened way back in the day that I'm being reactive to this one thing? Like sometimes say if my emotions are become overwhelming and it's, it's over like maybe a smaller thing, figuring out like why I'm feeling this way and then dialing it back, connecting the dots, like you said, and then thinking from like, Oh, maybe there was this instance with my parents and we were talking about the dishes and this happened. So yeah, you can like trail things back and then you're almost more in the driver's seat of the things that are happening and where you're reacting from in a way, like, yes, you're feeling the emotions, but it's less about like the emotions from like, 20 years ago, but more about the emotions in the moment. If that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I just want to clarify also, this is not like, oh, this guy was being a jerk to me, but it's just man or child, you know, feeling triggered. Like this is not an excuse for misbehavior or, mm-hmm. you know, from, from other, other people. So like yeah. with the dishes example, like, yeah, maybe it really was your boyfriend's responsibility to the dishes. If that was like a prior agreement that you had, um, what inner child work can help you do is not to just, it, it wouldn't be to not feel upset if he didn't do the dishes when he was supposed to, because you mm-hmm. ever have every right to be upset if that was part of the agreement you had with uh-huh. each other, but it can get you to a place where you're not reacting from the other thing that happened, but it's more of like, Hey babe, I'm feeling a little frustrated that you didn't do the dishes. And we talked about, can yeah. we like readdress like our workload responsibilities so that we can all, you know, or, or whatever, rather than like, Oh my God, you didn't do the 
it's just, yeah. you know, so, so that's where inner child work can um, come in. So it's not like, just like, okay, I can just take on any crappy behavior if I do enough inner child work. Like, yeah. no, <laughs> that's, that's not a good goal. clarification. So then applying this now to the dating world, say, okay, I understand my inner child. I understand every work, some things I'm feeling good. I know my patterns. How do we take this into the dating world and find success? Because that's, that's when the real challenge happens. I feel like yeah. how do we do it. So, okay. So, well, do we mean like going online or like going on a date or cause there's so yeah, many... I would say online, we'll start okay. with online. How okay. do we apply it to that space? Yeah. So when you are going online or really just any space where you <laughs> hope to hope to meet someone, um, at that point, the most important thing you can do is, is stay present to yourself of, with what's going on and how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the reasons that we can get ourselves into not so great kind of situations or like mismatched <laughs> situations in relationships um, or dating is when we're not really being present to mm-hmm. our needs. And instead we're focused more on, Ooh, do they like me? Or can they see something with me? This is, I mean, this is something I call future tripping, you know, something along those, along those lines. Yeah. When you aren't being present, then what you're most likely going to do is you're most likely going to fall back into old patterns mm-hmm. because brain wants to operate on autopilot. This is not a bad thing. Um, I always say like, imagine if you had to consciously think about what it takes to brush your teeth every day, like life would be even more exhausting than it already is. So especially when you're new to this, you have to be very mindful, very present, very conscious of just how you're feeling when you're interacting with someone, whether it's online or, you know, in person or, or whatever, if you're talking with someone and they're kind of making you feel not important, or they don't really make you feel like you, they seem to care much about you. Um, or they're just not making you feel however you would like to feel by a potential partner. Mm -hmm. Then that gives you information that in which you can take action from, right? So maybe the inner child self would try to get this person to like you because maybe that was a pattern you found yourself, you know, trying to get dad's attention or get mom's attention or whatever to, you know, feel loved. So again, without being present, you might find yourself kind of like doing that. If you're staying present and mindful with what's going on, you can consciously make a decision of like, okay, I'm not really feeling what I want to feel with this person. Obviously, there's a million reasons why. So depending on the exact situation will inform what action you take. Um, But it might mean like, hey, like I actually kind of need this from you. Like I need to hear from you every day. Don't have to have a phone call, but just a quick text in the morning would be enough. You know, so you just ask what you need. Not a big deal. Not making a big stink about it. Just simply asking for what you need rather than like, trying to start playing games or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, that would be like maybe the old way. It depends on ex- the exact situation that we're talking about. And, but, but that's generally the the thing. Um, I always tell people like, once you get to the date or the date is imminent at that point, all you can do is focus on being curious and having fun. Yeah. And the reason why I say those two things is because you try having fun or try being curious and not being present. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's, it's possible. Hard. <laughs> and, and so if you just have an intention of like, I'm just going to go on this date and I'm going to have fun and I'm going to be curious about the person sitting across from me. And that's it. At that point, that's all you can do. Because if you're present, you're going to be tuned into how you feel about the person. And when you're more connected with yourself, which you are, because you're tuned into how you're feeling, you're mm-hmm. also in a much better position to potentially connect with the other person. If there is, you know, any kind of you know, connection or, or attraction there. But like, if you're in your head or trying to figure out if they like you or trying to get them to like you or whatever, there's no way in hell, like you're 
operating like yourself or yeah. naturally or anything like that. And like the other person's like, am I with a robot or like <laughs> what's yeah, going on yeah. here? Um, and, and it's just less likely to, for there to be a connection, not saying that like this will make the you know, the relationship work for sure, but you're not even giving yourself the opportunity for that to happen if you're not present. Yeah. And you can even remember times in life, say you had like a school presentation, you were worried that your dress was too short or you were trying to hike it down or you're worried about the guy in the back of the class is like picking his nose or whatever. Your brain is elsewhere besides the presentation. And I'm sure the presentation didn't go so hot because your mind is going a million miles a minute. You're thinking about all these other things besides the fact that the task at hand. So just like bring it back to what's happening in the moment. I want to ask you some specific things that people have asked me and see if we can like apply what you have or your um, method to them. I I have a lot of them, but I wanted to try and see if there's some good ones that we can pull out. Okay. So let's ask you this one first, how to balance not wasting your time with the what ifs of dating of what if we don't work out? What if we are going to get married? What all the what ifs that happen a lot in dating? Yeah. So the what ifs is um, future tripping, which is what I just mentioned before. Um, You will find out nothing in the what ifs because the what ifs tells me that you're in your head. And it's not that like your head or your mind or your thinking is wrong or bad. I mean, sometimes that's really important. Um, But for dating and kind of deciding like, okay, is this relationship for me or not? You have to be in your hut, which is your heart and your gut. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have to let go of all of like, well, what if it's not the right person or what if, what if, what if, and just trust that you're a, exactly where you're meant to be in that moment. And then B, if you are connected with how you feel, you're going to be able to un- understand much quicker whether or not you want to continue pursuing something or not with someone. Yeah. Um, one thing that is really common is like people will be like, oh, well, this guy seems great on paper. I don't know if I feel it. Or, you know, that's just one example. But in that kind of thing where you're dating from your head, you will end up actually wasting a ton more time um, because like maybe you're trying to make it work if they look great on paper or whatever. Um, or you might miss red flags again, like, and miss red flags when you're only dating from your head or the what ifs mm-hmm. or whatever. And so when you can just really focus on being in tune with yourself, then yeah, you might not be with the the person or the one. Um, and that's okay. You're going to learn something from it. You're going to grow from it. And the more you're in tune, the quicker you'll be able to tell whether or not this is going to be the right person for you and end up saving a lot more time in the long run. Yeah. I love the hut, the heart and the gut. I haven't heard that before. That's awesome. Um, what should be considered actual deal breakers help a single gal with dating anxiety? Okay. There's some deal breakers that are just like, duh, like, I don't think anyone wants to date a pedophile. You know what I mean? So like, (laughs) I like to have, I I call it my big three. Um, and so if this person, hypothetical person had everything, um, but like had one of these three, you know, big three, then like, it would just be game over, like not even, you know, pursuing it. That's not to say there couldn't be something else that would ultimately be a deal breaker ahead that I would find out later. But these three things would just be the initial, like, nope, no, not moving forward. So for me, per- these, these are personal. So my yeah. big thing were um, smoking uh, or a lack of ambition. Um, they didn't have to necessarily have a career ambition, but I wanted them to have some sort of ambition, yeah. even if it was outside of their main way they made money. Um, and then the third thing was if I noticed that they were rude to any kind of service staff, like that just told me everything I needed to know yeah, about my personality. That's <laughs> very telling. Now, again, there could be other deal breakers. Cause like I'm Jewish and I don't, I didn't need to like be with someone Jewish, but I wanted someone who was open to Jewish culture and having like Jewish culture in the home with kids and all that kind of stuff. Now, if that ultimately was not okay with them, that would be, you know, a deal breaker later on. But just the fact that they weren't Jewish right up front was not going to be like an immediate 
deal breaker. So I encourage you to kind of figure out what are your big three? Like if you see these three things, what, or one of these three things, like no matter what other attributes they have, it's just game over just to have some really strong discernment, um, just, you know, right off, right off the bat, you know, and again, I'm not talking about like the obvious, like pedophile, yeah. violent, you know, yeah. like no, <laughs> no, yeah. no like criminals. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, duh. like you don't have to, you don't have to specify yeah. that. Cause everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, I think in general, um, I'm not really that concerned about common interests between partners. I'm more concerned about, um, values mm-hmm. and your values don't have to necessarily align. You don't agree with everything. Cause that would be crazy impossible because there's a million things we have a million opinions about. Um, yeah. But I do think your values have to be parallel to each other. If your values are, you know, perpend- no, oh my God, I'm getting my job trail wrong. If they're, intersecting, <laughs> if they're intersecting, then it's not yeah. going to work. Um, but as long as they're parallel, I think you can make a lot of, a lot of things uh, work. So yeah. those are my deal breakers. I like that. I like deciding those for yourself. So then you at least know, and it's not like deal breaker is he, has to be six foot three. And I use that example a lot, a lot, but I mean, like if it is your deal breaker, then put it on the list. But if it's like, eh, he could be six foot two, then I wouldn't. Yeah. If you do say it has, he has to be six foot three. And then what I would ask is, okay, but if he had everything else that he wanted, you wanted, and he was five foot 10, would it be okay? And if the answer is, yeah, that'd be fine. Then it's not in the deal. It doesn't belong in your big three. That's a good way to decipher it. Yeah. So like the big three are really just things, even though they had everything else, but they have one of these things that's done with. Got it. Um, struggling with putting in any effort into apps, combos are boring and I don't care. LOL. (laughs) I have a lot to say about online dating. Um, first of all, you don't have to be on the apps. Um, people, um, usually think of dating and online dating as like the same thing. Online dating is a way to meet people. And so if you don't be on the apps, don't be on the apps, um, meet people other ways. Now let's say, you know, you're an introvert or you're a single mom, or there's just some other reason, or maybe you live in a small town or whatever. And there's just not like lots of things to go and do and, and, Mm -hmm. and, and ways to meet people. Um, first, I always think there's room for creativity. So just going to say that. Um, but, but two, if if you do want to be on the apps or that be at least one way that you're meeting someone, I would put in perspective. Um, online dating is no different than like a bar or church or a networking event or whatever. It's just a medium to meet people and you can make it what it is, or you can make it what you want it to be. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times people approach online dating, um, the way we sometimes approach social media when we're looking for like that dopamine hit of like likes and matches and messages and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, and so I think when you're from that space, like nothing's ever going to actually be able to satisfy you because like, we all know that like, it's a race to the bottom, um, you know, trying to get that dopamine or that fulfillment from social media. And the same thing is true with online dating. And so I would approach it just the way you would approach going to an event where you want to meet someone like, okay, like just be curious and, um, have an intention to have fun. And then from there you might meet someone you might not, but either way, like you just spent, you know, a little bit of time, um, looking for someone and it is what it is when we get dramatic about it, when we put too much stock in it, then we really just put it on this pedestal kind of level. And it's impossible for it to live up to that. How to not lower your standards when you like someone. Don't lower your standards. Yeah, pretty simple. <laughs> I will say, um, I, I am asked a lot like, oh, are my standards too high? Mm. And, you know, it's really hard for the kind of work that I do where, you know, ultimately helping women uplift themselves to be like, oh yeah, yeah your standards are too high. So yeah. I don't think that's really what's going on. I think what is going on kind of going back to the deal breaker question is our standards are in the wrong place. Mm. Like, is it really necessary to have a standard that someone has to be six foot three? I know that's an example, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, 
I think that our standards should be very high when it comes to how we're treated. Um, but then when it comes to like other things that aren't necessarily going to make or break a relationship, like I think we let some of that stuff go. Yeah. I love it. Um, the question of all time, do you sleep with him on the first date? <laughs> um, okay. This is really funny. So I was recording a podcast or an episode for my podcast uh, the other day. And I was just like, sometimes I just go on little rants. Um, I don't know. I can just ramble about stuff all the time. And so <laughs> one thing that I was rambling about is I was like really trying to get to the essence of what my podcast or what the work that I do and inner child work is really about. And for a long time, I always kind of thought, you know, if I'm on a other, someone else's podcast, they're often like, what's your final parting words or advice or whatever. And then I'll often say something around the, along the lines of like, be compassionate with yourself, even if you quote unquote mess up or whatever, like just be nice to yourself because if you're doing all this work, but then also still being a dick, like things might not change for you, which is true. It's very true. Um, but I think, um, I think that really what my work is about is like, just do what you want, do what you want. Hmm. You know, you're allowed to do whatever you want, you know, cause we, we are living by these invisible scripts of the things that we learned from inner child or our childhood, but then also from the patriarchy, we can't ignore that. And mm-hmm. so, um, like just do what you want. If you want to have sex with someone the first night, like freaking do it. If you don't, yeah. you know, don't do it. Um, and I think it's really important to ask yourself from where is this desire coming from? Like, if you want to do it because like, you're just feeling really attracted to this person, like do it. But if you're doing it because like, Ooh, I think this person, you know, really likes me and maybe like, they'll like me or we'll build this connection or whatever, then again, you can do what you want, but you just can be aware of like the emotional risk involved with, you know, making a decision from, from that place. Yeah. So, I love that. That's like knowing where you're making the decision from how to know if he's really into you or just into the thought of you. So I guess like how to know from the other side, if they're reciprocating feelings. I've been in a situation like that before where <laughs> it's very obvious that <laughs> they like the idea of me more, more than, more than me. Um, you know, it kind of depends, like definitely like love bombing comes to mind with a question like this, but love bombing is more related to like um, emotional manipulation, you know, kind of, kind of territory. Um, I think this can happen from a completely innocent territory as, as well. Um, one thing that's important to remember when you're dating is that we all have our inner child and so do all the people that we're dating. Yeah. And, and so if someone is in love with the idea of you, um, it's probably because you're they're they're placing you inside their void or filling their, whatever, whatever wound. I don't know if I have like a really great way to know for me, like I can spot it from a mile away. Um, and I was even able to spot that pretty well when I was um, dating, even before I like, I really knew, you know, exactly like what I was working with here. Um, but I think in general, if someone just feels like what they're sharing with you emotionally is greater than how well they actually know you to uh, me, that's, that's like red flag territory. Now it might be love bombing, which is more manipulative, but it might yeah. just also be like, they need to just, you know, do some inner child work. Mm, that's a good <laughs> little tip. It could be completely innocent, but um, either way, it's definitely not the relationship that you would want to move forward with. Um, with eh, first dates, power through or bad sign and give up. Okay. So it depends on what she means by eh. Um, if they're, if it's you like, have, the- they're okay. Like they're all right. I, it wasn't like, I feel like I wanted to rip his clothes off, but it was fine. That makes <laughs> so, sense. okay. A couple things like one, do what you want. You can always do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> here's my opinion with it though. Um, so I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt and unless I'm either experiencing the ick, which is like, 
Oh, don't yeah. touch me. Or <laughs> if I'm getting some of those, you know, deal breakers, like the big three that we talked uh-huh. about, if, if I'm not, I'm just kind of like neutral about it. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to give everyone a pass because like, I get it. Like sometimes it can feel a little awkward or nerve wracking, especially those first couple of dates, you know, yeah. really can't really get to know them. Um, so I think, you know, if they're kind of feeling like meh, um, I will also say this though, if you've had a pattern of those relationships where it's just like, boom, like really fast and like lots yeah. of attraction and like fireworks, like those are often unhealthy relationships where you're attracting each other through your wounds and mm-hmm. they're like the physical chemistry can be literally intoxicating. It can feel like a drug. And yeah. so I just want to caution people from comparing those kinds of relationships to something that's a little bit more healthy. It's going to feel a little bit more steady. And so if you, especially if you've had a pattern of like the fireworks or whatever, I would definitely give someone a few more dates just to kind of see if there is any connection there. There's also a million other things I could say about this. Um, you, You know, sometimes it can be like, you know, you're just dating from your head, like, okay, check, check, check. Like, eh, you know, that's going to be a really hard place to meet someone. If you're not, if you're not in your hut and you're more in your head, it's going to be a hard place to feel connected to someone. If you're more in your masculine, that's going to be a hard place to, you know, connect with someone. So there's a lot of things that could be going on, but those are some things in my head. Okay. Two more. What is the biggest slash common mistake they, they see made in relationships that I see made that you see? Yeah. (laughs) I guess, uh, you know, kind of going on my, on my theme, like doing what they think they're supposed to do mm. <laughs> versus what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that. How to meet people, please. Like where are all the single men? <laughs> um, okay. So when I was first, when I first started my business, like six years ago or so, I was doing a group coaching call with clients and someone asked me that. And I felt like a deer in headlights. I was like, Oh my God, I don't know. I have no idea. And I just, and I just like took a breath and I answered, I'm like single men are everywhere you are. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so freaking smart because that's totally true. Right. Like there's no like one, like secret little hideout where, (laughs) (laughs) where all the single men who are emotionally available and have a good job and everything. Like there's not one secret place where they're, they're hiding out. And if you're not meeting them, um, sometimes you could be, you know, hiding from, from that, because even though that's what you want consciously, if you're not really emotionally available for it, like that can feel really scary and you can push people away. Just like I did in my story kind of goes back to that conversation around expectations. It goes along the lines of that. where like, especially when women are feeling like very jaded or just like burnt or just whatever. Um, you can kind of date from this place of like, you know, like the constitution, you're innocent until proven guilty. So I find sometimes you can date from the opposite of that. Like, oh, you're an asshole until you prove me otherwise. Yeah. I've seen that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so like, that's just a really hard place. And then you're just, you know, you're just going to see what you want to see. Like confirmation bias is a thing. Right. And yep. so, yeah, I mean, that's just who you're going to attract. Um, not because those other people aren't out there. And I think you also have to look at the inner child and from where you're attracting these people. Like if you're attracting people from this place of lack or place of need or wounding, then you yeah, you're going to attract um, a certain kind of relationship because that's what you're ultimately available for. I'm not saying it's your fault or you caused it, but magnetic, like opposite magnets, like, you know, attract each other. It's the same kind of thing when it comes to um, emotional connection relationships. Absolutely. Okay. Last one, I promise. Um, when you've 
done the dating and all that, when you're in a, in a relationship, how do you continue dating and keeping it fresh and things like that? What's dating or spouse or anything like that? Yeah. Oh my God. This could be like a whole other episode. So, um, <laughs> a couple things, um, one is to continue having like a date night, mm-hmm. um, where, cause I think, you know, relationships can definitely get into a rut where you just like watch a Netflix every night. And like, that's cool. I'm not above Netflix, but mm-hmm. just make sure you have at least one night a week where it's something special. Even if you're staying home and making dinner, just like some candles or something, make it a little yeah. bit spicy, a little bit different. Um, I think also what's really important is especially once a relationship becomes serious and especially if there's like shared property involved, like we're living together. And especially when there's kids involved or like a business involved or whatever, um, it's really important to see your relationship in two parts. There's the romantic part of your relationship and then the logistical part of your relationship. And this is true. Even if you're not living together, um, every relationship has their logistics, like around chores and stuff, if you're like living together, but if you're not, it's like, who pays for what, like, how do we divide that and think about that? Or who stays at whose house or what's our communication? Like we don't see on the days we don't see each other. Um, it's really important to have agreements around everything. My husband and I have a Google doc around agreements with everything. I mean, just the littlest things. And it might sound like, wow, that's, you know, takes the fun out of everything or the romance of everything. But I, I would say it does just the opposite because most fights and relationships are about the logistics. It's about communication or it's about dishes in the sink or, or whatever. And if there's dishes in the sink and someone's pissed off about that, no one's having sex. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the more that you can just have your logistics and the relationship really very clearly defined, spend like an, a night doing this. Like we spent a couple of nights doing this, um, just listing everything out making sure it feels equitable to both people. And then you just check in and make sure it still works and everyone's holding up their end of the bargain. And then you don't talk about it except when you're like having like specific meetings about this part of the relationship. And then that way, all the other time that you have with each other, again, whether you're living together or not, can just be focused on you just being with the person and like talking about your day or talking about, I don't know, something else that happened or what you watched on TV or whatever. And you're not just like fighting about something that you didn't do or they didn't do or, or whatever. I I just feel like that's like the secret to lasting relationships personally. (laughs) I love that idea. That's a genius idea. It's like a little relationship contract. I'm into it. Um, Okay. We're going to cut it off. I don't want to keep you. Um, is there any like last piece that you want to leave us off before I tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, just do what you want. Okay. There it is. <laughs> do what you want. Just like you can have whatever want. kind of relationship you want. You can have whatever kind of agreements, boundaries. Uh, you can wait till marriage. You can have sex on the first night, everything. You can do what you want. All you I have to it. do is be super clear about it and just ask for what you want. And if that feels impossible, then you know you have some inner work to do. And that's really it. Yes. Nailed it. Okay. Where can everyone find you? All of the things that you do, coaching sessions, all of that. Yeah. So I have a podcast called the love life connection and I coach women on the show. So if you're like, okay, how does this actually work? All this inner child stuff, you can come over and listen to those episodes. Um, and then I also have an emotional availability assessment. Um, cause you know, as I've hinted, in our conversation today, I think um, it's very easy to blame men for being emotionally unavailable, um, yeah. but there's actually ways that are less stereotypical, but ways in which women can be emotionally unavailable as well. Like, you know, not asking for what you want or um, 
you know, having no boundaries, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that can just obviously lead to more emotionally unavailable relationships. So I encourage you to take that assessment and you can grab that at veronicagrant.com forward slash assessment. And I also work with clients one-on-one and in small groups. So you can reach out to me. Um, the assessment will send you an email and you can reply back to that email. Or you can just go to veronicagrant.com for information about that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. I, I literally could sit here for another hour and ask you 20 more questions, but we're out of time. So everyone's going to have to go to your podcast and listen more. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me today. It was lots of fun. That is it for me today, you guys. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. Before you go, make sure that you rate, review, and follow, as well as subscribe so you never miss an episode. And one thing you can share in the meantime this podcast, obviously. Send it to a friend who needs some inspiration or give us some love on social media and tag us at something to share podcast on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday.